Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on symptom management. Hello, I'm Jillian Gustin. I'm the Division Director of Palliative Medicine at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. And today, I will be talking to you about constipation. My goal today is to think about constipation for advanced illness as palliative care clinicians. I hope that we'll describe the causes of constipation, we'll compare and contrast laxatives for the treatment of constipation, and finally, I'll give you an outline, a stepwise approach to managing constipation. So let's get started. Before we start to think about how to manage constipation and what it is, let's review what a normal bowel movement consists of. Typically, there are four components that we need for normal bowel movements to occur. There's lubrication, motility, solid waste, and water content. And as you can see on this slide, those four things need to be in balance. Typically, the solid waste gets pushed through the small intestine through peristalsis, and it gets into the cecum. When that cecum feels the stretch, you get a gastrocolic reflex that then lets the colon know to start those mass movements that happen about three to four times a day to slowly move that solid waste through the colon. It enters into the rectal vault which then feels the stretch of that solid waste and creates another reflex to have the anal sphincters open and we have defecation. That is a normal bowel movement. So what's constipation? Well, ultimately there are many different definitions and there's really not a standard one that we can use. In general, we think about it as persistent, difficult, infrequent, or incomplete defecation that an individual may have. In our patient population, over 80% are affected by constipation at some point in their illness trajectory. They can have straining, they can have different consistency in their stools, they can have it less frequently, all of these things are perceived by our patients to be constipation. And here's what's most important. It hurts. We've all experienced constipation before. It's not fun. And when it's ongoing, we recognize that it can lead to a decline in our quality of life, in the ability of socializing with other people. It affects the food that we take and our nutritional status. It may even affect our functional status. So it's something that as palliative care clinicians, we need to pay close attention to so we can maximize the quality of life for our patients. So let's move on to talking about what can cause your patient to have constipation. There are a myriad of causes for constipation in our patient population as they're experiencing advanced illness. 
I've listed many of them on this slide here, and I just want to point out a few. So let's think about our patients with cancer. Often they can have ascites. They can have had some kind of surgery that causes post-operative ileus or adhesions. Many of our patients can be on many medications, anticholinergics, opioids that can cause constipation. We have folks who um, can have ascites from heart failure if they've got left-sided that moves to right-sided heart failure. They can have changes in their diet and we can notice that when they drink less, they eat less, that their constipation actually can get worse. These are just some of the causes of constipation and it's important for us to always be thinking about what's the cause so we can think about how best to treat it. So when we think about how to assess for constipation, the first thing we always need to do is to get a good history. What are the associated symptoms and the patterns that our patient is experiencing? When was their last bowel movement? What's normal for them in terms of bowel movements? Do they typically go once a day? Do they typically go once a week? How often are they going? What's the consistency of the stool? Are they incontinent? Trying to get all of those details so we can get a better sense of why they're constipated in the first place. Have they had prior surgeries? Do they have adhesions that might be causing the constipation? Are they on medications like opioids or anticholinergics that can be causing constipation? And is there a change in their illness? For instance, if they're a cancer patient, have they been recently diagnosed with peritoneal carcinomatosis, which we know can cause constipation? After you've gotten a very thorough history, examine your patient. Do they have tenderness on the belly? Is there one area that hurts more than another? What kind of bowel sounds can you hear when you're listening with your stethoscope? And in some cases, you may ask to do some testing. Do we need to look at their electrolytes, knowing that electrolyte abnormalities can cause constipation? Do we need to get an abdominal x-ray or an abdominal CAT scan? You want to gather all of this data before you start thinking about a treatment plan so you can assess what's the underlying cause. So you've done a great assessment. Now let's move on and think about how do we manage constipation. First and foremost, always think about can it be prevented? So as, you, as you've thought about all the reasons someone might be constipated, are any of those reversible? Do they have a metabolic abnormality that you can fix? Are they on a medicine that you can pull away? Is there an, a problem with privacy? I have teenage boys, and if they had to have bowel movements in front of all their friends, they would always be constipated. And we need to recognize that's true for our patients. This is a very private experience, and it's hard to be able to have a bowel movement in front of others. So just be aware of that. If you can't prevent it, and you've assessed the cause, you've tried to treat it, and you can't reverse that cause, that's when we take that next step and we think about how do we treat this symptom of constipation. 
What I have here for you is a list of medications that cause constipation. And I want you at least to just be aware of these because this is a really easy thing to do. If you can either rotate them to something else or pull one of these medications away, you may solve the problem of constipation. In our palliative patients, I want to point to just a few of these. Many of our patients are on analgesics, opioids, or NSAIDs that we know can cause constipation. We have folks who are on anticholinergics. We have folks who are on antiemetics that can again cause constipation. For our patients with heart failure, let's not forget those diuretics that can also cause constipation. So just always keep in mind, look at that medication list and see if there is anything you can pull back from. Although often the goals for management are to solve the constipation problem, sometimes it's just as much about resetting expectations and making sure we know what someone's individual preferences are. I've had patients that really just feel uncomfortable having bowel movements every day or having a risk of incontinence. It feels very undignified for them and they'd rather have a little bit of constipation than have that incontinence. For others, being constipated and having the pain and, and the stress associated with that is much worse and so they would err on having looser stools and more frequent stools. It's important that you actually have this conversation with your patient so that you can know what you're aiming for together. So let's take you back to that balancing beam that we showed before. The solid waste, the water content, the lubrication, and the motility. These are all the things that you need to have a normal bowel movement. And if any of these are off kilter, that's when constipation will occur. The first step in managing constipation can be to consider non-pharmacologic techniques. You can have your patient eat more fiber-rich foods, see if they can increase their physical activity, increase their fluid intake, ritualize their bowel habits. For many of our patients in palliative care, some of these can be quite difficult. Often they're not thirsty, they're not hungry, and they're limited in what they can do physically. There are also many pharmacologic treatments that I've listed here for you. There's bulk-forming laxative, surfactants, osmotic agents, stimulants, opioid-induced constipation agents, and there are some others. Let's talk about some of these. What I have for you here on this slide is a chart that lists all the different pharmacologic treatments we use for constipation, typically in palliative care. So let's walk through this. The first is bulk producing agents. An example of this would be psyllium. Here in the United States, we often use an agent called Metamucil. This agent helps to retain water in the stool. It also increases the mechanical distension in the colon to help move things through. The second category of agents are surfactants or lubricants. An example of that would be docusate. These agents have a detergent-like activity and they're supposed to soften the stool. It's important to note that there's been very little evidence that this actually works for constipation in many of our patients, 
although we find that it is used often. The third category are osmotic laxatives. These are things like lactulose or polyethylene glycol. These agents, they draw and maintain water in the stool, again, that can help with distension to move things through. The fourth category are stimulant laxatives, such as senna or bisocotyl. These actually stimulate the myenteric plexus in the intestine to start peristalsis. And finally, we have enemas. There are many different kinds of enemas. There are mineral oil enemas, tap water enemas. They all work in different ways, but essentially they draw and maintain water in the stool and again, cause that distension in the colon to help move things through. It's important to note here that most of these agents have side effects. So our patients will have flatulence, bloating, often they have abdominal cramping and pain, and some of these can cause rectal irritation as well as metabolic abnormalities. So you need to really think about which one you're choosing based on your particular patient's unique needs. I also want to point out that the sites of action are different for each of these agents. Some work better in the small bowel, some work better in the colon. The ones that we typically use in palliative care would be polyethylene glycol, which works in the small bowel, and then in the colon, agents such as bisocotyl, senna, and lactulose. Now that we've reviewed all the many different agents we can use to treat constipation, let's talk about a stepwise approach to managing it. So, of course, as we talked about earlier, the first thing you want to do is preventive measures. So step one, make sure your patient understands what's expected in terms of their bowel movements with their serious illness. If you can, increase their fiber and their fluid intake. And of course, always encourage mobility. Step two is to modify risk factors. So looking at their med list, is there anything that you can take away? Is there anything that you can substitute? Are there metabolic abnormalities that if you fix them, their constipation would get better? Your step one and your step two should be about preventing constipation so that your patients don't have to suffer. If you can't prevent it, which is often, then we talk about how do you treat it. And let's first think about when the patient has mild constipation. The first is if they're already doing something and it's not working, just go ahead and stop it. And then we recommend that you either add an osmotic laxative like polyethylene glycol that can be given once a day or a stimulant laxative such as Senna that can also be given two tabs at nighttime. Step two is that if those agents haven't helped, go ahead and increase them. You can increase the dose by about 50 to 100% every two days. So, for instance, if Senna two tablets at night weren't working, go ahead and increase it to three tablets and see if your patient does better. Let's say you overshot, which really can happen. Then you want to decrease the amount that they're getting 
by again about 50 to 100% every 48 hours. The other option are things like acupressure and osteopathic manipulation therapy. Sometimes even manual disimpaction can be needed. Sometimes all the agents we've tried just don't work. Our patients can have severe or refractory constipation. So your first step here is to rule out secondary causes. You want to make sure you're not missing something. That may require your patient to get some further imaging like an x-ray or a CT scan of their abdomen. They may need to get a colonoscopy or anorectal manometry. You can also add certain agents like magcitrate, which is an osmotic laxative, or a bisocodal suppository once daily, and see if you get some results. If all the agents that you've tried aren't working, you may need to move to step three, which is an enema. Give it a few hours, and if you're still not having success, then I would recommend reaching out to your GI colleagues to help. There is a special class of medications that are targeted towards opioid-induced constipation. So let's think about the mechanism of opioid-induced constipation. Opioids attach to the mu receptors in the small intestine. In so doing, they inhibit the release of neurotransmitters such as acetylcholine, that then interrupts the normal peristalsis. This then decreases intestinal secretions and increases fluid and electrolyte absorption within the bowel wall. Additionally, it increases the anal sphincter tone. The result of all of this is a decreased transit of dry, hard stools with no urge to defecate. It is also very important to note that opioid-induced constipation is a very high risk factor for delirium in our patient population. So we need to make sure we're aware of that. So how do we treat it? Similar to what we've talked about before, we always want to try and prevent it. So if you're putting your patient on opioids, think about automatically putting them on some kind of stimulant laxative. Senna would be a great choice as your first line. Also recognize that all opioids cause constipation. So rotating from one opioid to another is not going to make the constipation any better. And finally, if you've tried all of these agents and your patient has refractory constipation, you can consider a new group of medications that are peripheral opioid mu receptor antagonists, such as methylnaltrexone or naloxagol. These basically block opioids within the bowel wall, so the bowel can function as it would normally without those opioids on board. And it's important to note that it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, thus our patient's pain medications that are given systemically should still work. There are some special considerations for our patient population who have advanced illness. So let's think about a few of these. Some of our patients may end up with obstructing masses 
or peritoneal carcinomatosis from their underlying cancer. If we give them all the laxatives we've talked about, we risk having them have perforated bowels. So in this case, it may be worth thinking about, could steroids help? Can we have our surgeon colleagues come and help us? And we'll actually spend an entire talk about how we manage malignant bowel obstruction. Some of our patients may experience ileus, which basically is when the bowel just goes to sleep. For these patients, placing a nasogastric tube and decompressing the stomach and allowing the bowels to rest, number one, will make your patient feel better immediately and eventually will allow the bowels to wake up and move. Again, if the ileus persists, this may be a place that you need to call your GI colleagues. For many of our patients, we're taking care of them at the very end of their life, and we need to think about how we want to treat the constipation if we know that their prognosis is less than one week. If it's not causing them any symptoms, and it's just a functional constipation, you may choose to just let it be and not put them through more pharmacologic treatments. Another consideration is if your patient has neutropenia, which we know many of our cancer patients have when they're on chemotherapy. In these patients, we want to be very careful about using any kind of rectal suppository. And finally, sometimes we'll have patients that complain of distension and they feel constipated and yet they're having diarrhea. For these patients, think about overflow incontinence. Perhaps they're obstipated and they actually need to be disimpacted or have multiple enemas to see if we can move uh, the stool through. A few high yield tips that I wanna give you related to how we manage constipation, particularly in the palliative patient population. Although you will often see docusate used, and I know in my hospital it's used frequently, there is very little data to say that it is impactful for treating constipation. And in fact, it's just another pill that we're asking our patients to use. So consider just taking it off their medication regimen. The other little tidbit that I've heard that I've always found helpful is to think about the mush and the push. So can you make this stool softer by using osmotic agents such as polyethylene glycol? And can you use stimulants to get the push going such as Senna? And of course, as always, remember that pain is a very hard thing to live with and it impacts our patient's quality of life. So make sure, even if your patient is constipated, that you are treating the pain appropriately by maximizing adjuvant pain medications and aggressively managing constipation, particularly when your patients are on opioids. I hope what we've done today is given you a rational approach to managing constipation, thinking about why someone is constipated in the first place, and then choosing your treatment regimen based on the pathophysiology underlying the symptom. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast 
and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content. Make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.